For many, this heat, dust, and isolation remain the perception of agriculture. However, in the 21st century, agriculture is an exciting, high-tech sector that feeds the world. Good morning, Shandini. It's really fantastic to meet you in person. We've chatted before, <laughs> but to have the opportunity to meet you in person, for us to be here in Cape Town with you, that you've flown to Cape Town and we've driven to Cape Town, and to meet you in person is fantastic. And Tiawalt and I would like to just <clears throat> hear about what you're doing and hear about um, what has brought you to Cape Town. So I think it would be nice if you introduce yourself a little bit and tell us thank tell you. us where you're going with that. Well, thank you both for taking the time to once again come out, meet me, and have another very long chat. Devout record is... It's going. It's going. <laughs> but thank you guys so much again for the opportunity. I thoroughly enjoyed our last conversation, so I know this one's going to be even more interesting. Um, so I flew out to Cape Town actually this week to join the Federated Management Institute. And I hope to God I'm saying it right, if they hear this podcast. Um, they are hosting an event on sustainable agriculture, technology and biotech. And it's experts from around the globe, um, regionally and nationally that have come together in a think tank to talk about our different expertise, our different outlooks on what the sector is looking like and how to better create a more sustainable, fruitful agricultural space for the next generation. So I'll be speaking tomorrow, which is Friday the 5th, I think. <laughs> um, and I'll be presenting, it was actually quite dicey for me to choose a topic because, you know, a lot of the topics were very generalized about export, about the risks in the agribusiness. And obviously I could speak to that from my history and, and, and what I've been doing with Avoport. Um, but I decided I'm going to give a totally different perspective from a sustainable point of view through the lens of a public sector, public private sector partnership and how that would contribute to a more, to a more, uh, long term sustainable agricultural environment, not only for the public sector, but the private sector and as well as the grassroots farmers and, and speak to that more as that is where my journey is sort of pushing me towards now is building a more sustainable agribusiness for myself and a more sustainable agricultural supply through my farmers. That's exciting. And you're, you're based in Johannesburg normally. Yes. So tell us a little bit about Avoport and how that developed. So Avoport came off um, the back of my legal internship where I had a discussion with one of my mentors um, near the end of my, my term or contract. And he said, you know, before you become a legal advisor, I just have to tell you, you're never going to make the kind of money or have the kind of impact billing eight hours a day. Um, and I think throughout my term, he sort of saw that I was more business inclined. I was more excited at the new developments within the mining sector, how the mines were being rehabilitated and the agricultural space 
then started showing up on my radar. Um, as the mining company we represented, they were rehabilitating their mines towards agricultural projects. Um, and so I said to him, well, I've studied seven years to be a lawyer. And now you're telling me it's not in the cards or shouldn't be in the cards for me. What should I do? And that's how Avoport sort of came to life. Um, he told me a story about a trader um, who he met on the plane and he was trading oranges and said to me, well, you should look into avocados. Being a researcher at heart, I went to my desk and I started investigating the whole agricultural space and especially avocado trade. And at that time, it was 20, 2015, 2016, I saw that the demand for SA avos was just growing globally. And um, I started diving into it and driving home. I was like, well, if I'm going to do this, what would my company's name be? And driving past OR Tambo, I think it's called the AgriLink plane, flew overhead. And I thought, okay, the quickest way to get a highly perishable produce from point A to B would be via plane. Drove past the airport. I was like, okay, I'm going to put an avocado with the airport. And the Avoport came to life. And it's actually an acronym for Agricultural Vendor Operation Portal. Wow. So it it literally took off at the airport. <laughs> took off at OR Tambo, yeah. And um, it's been a steady, I would say, a steady growth and also a very challenging one. Being a female in this space, being a female of color, um, and also being as young as I am, my career trajectory, I think people kind of find it explosive that I went from legal intern to a sort of entrepreneur, agripreneur, and then I got admitted um, to the National Agricultural Marketing Council board as the youngest member in the history of the organization, first Indian woman. And that was a whole thing after 2020, which was a disaster for most businesses and across the globe. Um, so to have jumped from intern to business owner, to public leader, national board member, and now have a completely different perspective, both from the private side and the public sector side. Um, it's really driven my agenda in a different way. It's driven my outlook on, on what my company's purpose is um, from just wanting initially to trade avocados and be like the trader on the plane with the laptop and just connecting with players. Now, you know, with the space that I'm in, it's more about enhancing and empowering of the smallholder farmers to be able to better contribute to the agricultural sector, as well as uplift them, you know, from I learned by trial and error, and they are learning by trial and error. And I was fortunate enough to grow up, have a tertiary education, come from a stable middle-class background, um, to where people don't have that luxury of having the opportunity to pursue something with the support of my family and my parents and and my mentors um, to guide and direct me. I feel that's sort of where I'm at now, where Avalport has moved not away from trading, but expanded trading to include export, wholesale and retail supply, as well as um, agro-processing and incorporating the smallholder to basically plant and farm for my clients and to my client's, uh, client standards and 
what their service needs are. Um, and that's created a direct entry to market um, to, for the farmers. And it makes it easier for them now to run sustainable businesses. And that's part of my talk is how do we get them to understand what a business is, how to understand how to manage a business, because at the end of the day, a farm is a business. And the perspective some of the, the farmers have from what I've learned over the past six, seven years is it's a piece of land and it's traditional or it was given to us by government. Now tell us what to do. That's not how it, how it's going to work for you to be successful at farming and becoming one day, hopefully a large scale, commercial scale farmer. You need to understand the logistics behind it, the money management behind it, the knowledge on how to plant. Um, and a lot of collaboration has come through some of my clients, some of my partners, some of the networks that I've generated where we've identified certain needs outside of trade. So skills development, knowledge de generation, market insight, which I feel is more important than market access or market entry. Because once you have the correct market insight, market entry becomes a given. Market access is guaranteed because people are going to come and want what you, you're planting and harvesting. And one of those things would have been peppers, which I didn't have any idea about until late last year when the demand for peppers is exorbitant and not many farmers are planting it. So, you know, giving them that knowledge and saying, here's an expert or a farmer that has been doing it for past three years. This is how successful she's been. She's going to guide you and train you and show you what your margin should be, show you what your quantity should be, and this is what your profits would be. So th that's that's very interesting because th those are the those are the kind of things that um, um, not a lot of people talk about because everybody's on a sustainability bandwagon, but you need to sustain yourself. Mm -hmm. Everybody says you need to use this plastic and that plastic, but it's um, they don't think about the guy needs to make money to be able to support, support his family or the land he's on. And that's where it comes in, you know, with the challenges we're facing as a country with the load shedding and all the other jazz that goes on. Um, the farmers, as much as the consumer seems to absorb the cost when you purchase from a retailer, the farmers are too especially the smallholder farmers or the medium-sized guys are embracing the increase in petrol price, the shortage of electricity, you know, the water crisis, climate change. I mean, I think one thing I appreciate more now than ever is not to discredit any other type of business when, when you're in the farming business, the agri space, you have to account risk-wise for absolutely everything on that SWOT analysis. You have to account for labor disputes, strikes, power, energy, fuel, weather, sun. You pray for sun and you get too much sun. You pray for rain, you get too much rain. You know, the soil quality. Um, recently, there was an outbreak of this, I don't know if it was a germ or a virus that was attacking all these tomato farmers. And most small-scale farmers are tomato farmers and their crops were being annihilated by this, this bug or virus and, it, and they didn't have anything to sell. 
But if they had the knowledge, the inputs, and again, it's teaching them how to use something correctly to get the biggest output from what you've done. Um, you know, it's, it's very limited as how much they know and how well they know how to use that information. So that asymmetry is a really big challenge currently, um, not only for the small farmers, but I think interdepartmentally, um, between the different sectors, between public and private, the asymmetry is the problem because the knowledge, the information is there. It's just coming together, collaborating and understanding how you jointly can manage a situation, can benefit from a situation. So that's sort of where I'm shifting my perspective now as well with the knowledge generation for Avalport is coming from an R&D perspective where we can generate accurate reports, accurate market insights that we can then inform not only our farming base, but our clients, our buyers and that sort of thing. But how do, how do, you, how do we, all of us, um, teach those if you want to call them substance farmers, because they are not hugely commercial farmers. They do earn money with what they're growing. But I think listening to what you're saying, there's a lack of knowledge transfer from the commercial to the smallholder farmer. So how is that going to happen? Because they are not going to be at this conference you're speaking at tomorrow. Yeah. So it, it, it becomes very exclusionary, right? When you think who attends these big conferences. Yes. And it's something that I've always harped on about to, you know, not only my my organization, the NAMC, but also even here, it's very high level individuals, very experts um, in their field. And, you know, their, their knowledge base is so vast, but who gains access to it? And how, and how can we make it accessible to them? And like you said, Yavot, how does the commercial farmer transfer his knowledge to the smallholder farmer? And well, then you, and then you look at the politics of it all, you know, the divide that still currently exists. And it, it is a very challenging space because as I mentioned to Luis early, earlier in the conversation, people want to learn, but when you teach them, I don't know if it doesn't sink in or if they think you're wrong because they're on the ground and you aren't. Um, but that's where the open-mindedness needs to come in and the sh sharing of information. Money is power. Knowledge is power. Um, and you don't need to have money to share that knowledge because you could come up with a really profitable partnership, especially the commercial farmer. If he could, if one commercial farmer could, mentor 10 smallholder farmers and develop them to a medium sized scale and say to them, whatever you sell, 10% of your profit share is mine as a kickback. Well, as I'm, a just, I'm just thinking that if, if a big commercial farmer comes to, let's say 10 of these growers, the commercial farmer will be spreading his risk to let them grow for him. Yes, exactly. And they will, they will, know how to grow it the right way by and you will get them better prices on fertilizers or whatever it is the mm. infrastructure 
because he's a big commercial guy. He'll get something at a cheaper, he doesn't then carry the risk of having the land to. Yeah, 100%. He, he can get more product for less land than what he's got to earn. A hundred percent. And the labor he's not paying for. That also. He's not paying for the, technically for the cost inputs because he'll get it back with the profits that are made or the monies that are shared between them. And at the end of the day, you know, one of the things I've learned why cooperatives don't work is that that expert understanding of, you know, commercial farmers aren't two years old or three years old. It's, it's four or five generations of farming expertise that these commercial farmers have had. So, you know, when you come to a small scale farmer, when it comes to farming, I know everyone says it's a quick buck because every season you get a crop, but it's not. It needs to be managed like a well-oiled machine. You need to, if your harvest is once a year, you need to make sure that that money can last till the next harvest. Money management, business management, understanding all of that is what's lacking cooperatives. And that's why they fail because they get to the point of the first harvest. They get excited because now there's this big lump sum of money coming in. They don't know how to manage that money. Come planting for the next season, they have nothing or very limited funds available to do the next plant for the next harvest. So, you know, if, like I said, if, if we could organize something, public-private partnerships where the government can come in and from the farming databases that they have and the resources that they've already given and give them the right type of resources with the right kind of partnerships with open-minded commercial farmers to say, will each commercial farmer will train 10 young black emerging farmers in the hope of getting them to a, a large scale farming size. We wouldn't face the insecu food insecurity threat. But th th they can already implement that according to my limited knowledge because they already get tax incentives on doing that. Yeah, it's, and that's another thing. Knowledge, insight, all of it is there. I mean, within the NAMC, we have an incredible Merck department that, that, that generates this, does the research, generates the reports, the reports are there. It's the implementation and the actionable items from those reports um, where you have to say, okay, this is the report, what now? What do we do with this information? Who do we give it to? How do they use it? And what are the expected outcomes? As South Africa, I think we missed that. Throughout the world, you see the actionable implementation steps and the reporting coming in and saying, this is how it's been done and this is where it's happening and, and this is the improvements, like a loop factor. We don't have the loop. Okay, so it's a very interesting topic and it's very big and it's very broad, but I want to ask you specifically about Avoport. Who is Avoport? Is Avoport just you? Do you have people that work for you? And how broad is your field of activities? You speak about um, um, emerging farmers. How, how widely from Johannesburg are you working? With how many are you working? Just give us a little bit of background on that. So within Avoport, most of our stuff, we collaborate with other small entities. So most of our partnerships are with entities, for example, for the current um, farming base we have, 
I have shared resources with another entity called Crystal Consulting, and I identified another young woman of color who shared the same vision as me, Tamsin, an amazing business partner and workmate. We share the risk, we share our stories, our stresses, and we've come together and she had her farming base. Right now, I think Avalport's sitting on about 250 small farmers, wow. um, which we obviously don't use all of them because we vet them, we give them a chance. And that's where the trial and error came in because you give some farmers an opportunity and they run you the risk of losing a client because of not delivering stock on time, not meeting the quality standards, that sort of thing. So Tamsin and I have come together and what's great about Tamsin, she does a, a, a training, her business is about training. So she does okay. gap accreditation. Okay. And when it comes to the formal retail space, I think I've mentioned to this, this to you before, it's required, especially in the agro processing space, that they have SA gap or global gap. Yeah. So Tamsin has knocked down how to do the training. She does the audits. She helps with the certifying of the farmers and gets them to gap standard um, requirements and, and they get their accreditation. Oopsie. Um, and they work um, with the farmers to get the farmers to a point so that they can supply my client base, which are mostly agro-processors, retailers, and now even the wholesalers who used to buy from farmers who weren't gap accredited, they now want gap accreditation. Okay. So it's also limiting how much scope our farmers and, have. And who, who pays for that accreditation? No, right, well, the government does have an entity that uh, does training, government-funded training. Um, but usually, nine out of ten times, it's the farmer themselves who's shelling out for it. And it's not a cheap exercise. So, obviously, you know, from the export side, I would need global gap. Um, so, I could export to Europe, meet the UAE standards yeah. or wherever I have a client. Um, and then the SA gap would be for the agro-processors because they do the big brands, you know, the big processed food brands. Um, so Times and I have come together and connected the smallholder farmer to our wholesalers and retail clients, as well as our agro-processing clients, as well as identifying new opportunities for them, tell them what to plant, what our clients' demands are, where we see there's a gap in the market, for instance, berries, mushrooms, peppers, chilies, jalapenos, those special niche, uh, niche items. And we encourage our farmers actually to concentrate on two lines and specialize in the two lines of produce, as opposed to having a hectare of spinach, a hectare yeah. of butternut, mm. a hectare of this, a hectare of that. Because once that hectare is gone, it's, it's, that money is gone and it's not coming back until the next season. But if you can get two lines of produce that you know you can really plant well and focus on that the demand continues so you can start investing in winter stock and planting for the winter stock or the off season and that sort of thing um so sorry to interrupt you but no it, is there is there a big enough market in south africa for something like chilies or jalapenos yeah or one of our farmers actually she's a young um black female um like me left the corporate world and went into farming 
And she specializes in jalapenos, habaneros, chilies, and peppers. And that's all she does. And thriving. And her quality, I'll show you guys some pictures, her quality is phenomenal. And she sells to the market, she sells to wholesalers, she sells to retailers, she packages it on her farm, she meets gap stand, well, she's gap accredited, so she's, she, you know, she's sorted in that respect. Um, but there is, and that's the thing, the market inside to tell farmers what's, what they should be planting. So if, you, if, let's say I've, I want, I've got a five hectare piece of land, mm. and I say to you, Shandini, I want to do this. So I want you to distribute the product, whatever. What should I plant here? As it's sitting right now, what does the data show? What, what should people be looking at doing? Well, one of the things we've identified is green peppers. It is demanded year round. Um, and that goes for not only retailers and wholesalers, but the fast food chains. So, you know, the stir fries, the, uh, burritos, the Mexican food, they all use peppers. Um, Indian food as well, we use the green peppers. And recently, you know, we were, peppers were ranging between 80 rand a four kilo um, box to 100, 200, 250 rand for 10 kilo bag, um, just depending on how scarce the market was. Um, and a lot of farmers said, we want to plant, we just don't know how. And the female far farmer that I just mentioned, we've discussed with her if she can be a mentor to them, teach them, show them, tell them what the, the expectation is of them, and we will give them access to market through our clients and secure offtakes if, if, that, if that's the case, so that they know there's a guaranteed market for the peppers and they could get a decent profit from the exchange. And that's without being, you know, through the market agents or having to pay a commission and, and that sort of thing. Our margins are very low, but in that respect, we do it in order to develop the farmers to a certain point to where then we can adjust the margins on a much larger scale to supply a much larger market. Um, and that's where farming comes in. It's not a one year, two year business outlook. You have to look at 10, 15, 20 years. And, and hopefully I'm still doing that for 14, 20 years. I don't know if my gray hair will allow it, but. It but it certainly <laughs> sounds incredibly exciting. Well, it sounds exciting and it sounds very, um, like there's a lot of potential and it sounds like you're developing people um, because, you know, growing product, you're growing the people and the product. You're growing 100%. the people's skills and their mindset and expanding their world and hopefully expanding their bottom line. So it's an incredible thing that you're doing and, and the very best of luck with that. That's super exciting. Thank you. And, and you know, when Gerwald asked, this is totally off, off the charts for me, but I met a young, young stunning little Jewish girl. I say she's little because she's a dynamite in small packages. And I met her by fluke and she came to me and she was very timid at the time. And I think I've known her for maybe a year, less than a year. But when she met me, she, she was very timid, very shy. And she said, Sean, you know, 
I'd really like to go into soldier fly farming. And I said, what on earth is soldier flies? And she showed me this very grotesque picture of the larvae crawling. And I was, I was, I was like, oh, hell no, this is not, not for me. And, you know, she came to me and she said, could you mentor me? And just from your experience being in the Aggie space and I'm so proud of Maya at this point because Maya, from that timid little girl, young lady, she packed up, moved to the Western Cape, got a farm, small little farm, and started with her boyfriend. They started this uh, company called Filler Feed, which is basically a soldier fly farm that's very niche. Very niche. I didn't even know what it was. Um, and she explained to me, no, it's, it's feed for chickens, for the poultry. It's a very niche thing, a very new thing in South Africa. Um, there are a couple of players in the market, but still very brand new. And, you know, recently I gave, um, a speech at one of, she was taking part in a Ford fellowship event and she invited different people to speak. And I was one of the last speakers and. She actually came second place and she got awarded funding. And now she's got her first article published. She's having her first radio talk interview on Friday. And she calls me just before I came to Cape Town. She's like, Shant, it's going so fast and so many people are contacting me. And how do I deal, you know, with, with these people and what do I say? And that's the type of things that help people more so than you just giving them a market. It's just giving them a guidance on how to manage a situation, how to handle themselves, you know, um, how to project themselves. And, and she said, you know, a lot of farmers, a lot of people are calling me and saying, can we do training on how to farm flyers? And I, she said, but I'm so brand new. And I was like, you're not brand new. You have a farm. You have, you, you growing these larvae. You know more than what they do. You know more than what they do. And she said, so what do I do? And I said, that's another stream of revenue for you guys. Look at developing a training program. Tell them, yes, it's in the pipeline and this is what we want to do. And we'll get, we'll take your details and we'll get back to you. And I said, you can stage it out and develop your own brand of filler feed cooperative farmers that either supply you or they supply whoever and you guys grow a JV that way. And that's where Maya is. And literally, it's, it hasn't even been a year, but I feel like I've known Maya for the longest time. Incredible story. My goodness gracious. And, and tell us about the road that you walked to end up as being the youngest, um, youngest woman to join the NAMC. I want to just, be, just before we go there. Okay, sure. <laughs> uh, most of the people we chat to is in the fresh produce sector because that's where a lot of our general work is. Um, but with you being with all these smallholder farms, what's the, um, the talk of the town when it comes to animal protein? Do you deal with that? Do you have any of your... I have a lot of farmers on our database who do poultry farming. Okay. So that's where Maya also came in, where, you know, she now has access to buyers for the, for the larvae. Um, but a lot of our farmers are in the poultry space. I, I don't necessarily deal a lot with the abattoirs um, when it comes to red meat or sheep and, and that sort of thing. But the poultry guys, 
have faced a lot of challenges, as you know, recently in the news, but a, a lot of them contact me to sell their stock um, or sell it to an abattoir. And then it comes again, halal certification, where it's a big, big market, but they're not halal certified or their abattoirs, access to the abattoirs are not halal certified. And, and that limits my reach in a lot of ways because most of my clients do want the halal certified meat because it's sometimes it's not even for the Islamic customers. It's just for the greater Indian community. Some Jewish people, you know, would rather want a halal certified chicken or kosher chicken. Um, so, you know, it's, it's very limiting when it comes to the, but if, but if, if, if somebody like that goes through the process, they've got everything, they've got kosher, they've got halal, they've got Christian, they've got everything yeah. covered. It just opens up the scope. Yeah, it, it opens. That's the thing. It, it's, it doesn't take, I always say it doesn't take a lot. It takes very, maybe a little, a lot of money, but it takes a, a little to get, to go far in the farming business when it comes to the accreditation and um, what, what regulations you meet and what what your scope is and, and where your food is grown and how well it's grown. And especially with meat, you know, you, you're susceptible to a lot of things, you know. Um, we had from the NMC perspective and a couple of, I think it was a year ago, the outbreak of the foot and mouth and how to control that. That was my first instance of controlling and understanding that environment where I didn't have that knowledge before and understanding how uh, aggressive something like that can be. Um, but if we had to find a client, if we had to find a client that would want um, that stuff, especially the wholesalers and the retailers from your big retail chains, if they would, we have some clients who do buy from fresh produce from us, but if they were open to, and they are open to buying from the farmers, if we can meet the standards, the standards yes. yeah. Interesting, because yeah, that's, that's one of the things that we haven't really been involved in is any of the animal uh, livestock mm. um, kind of work. So, so then, <laughs> my question about how did you and Avoport end up being involved with the NAMC and a little bit more about that? I, again, I've been very fortunate and I've, as I've had incredible mentors throughout my career from, from the time I entered into law school till I left my legal internship um, and some of my mentors who are late and which is very, one of my mentors passed away um, last year. She was a young, brilliant attorney um, and she passed away from cancer, but she was very instrumental in making me aware of how to be a strong woman in the corporate world. And how I actually ended up at the NMC was during 2020, late 2020, um, one of my mentors, Advocate Cheko, that I had met through um, my legal internship, he is an executive at a big mining company. Um, I used to deliver documents for him to sign and always engage with him on silly things. What's your favorite sweet treat? Or, you know, do you like whiskey? What food, favorite food? Where do you, and he would tell me about his travels and what he was doing in the renewable energy space. And he contacted me 
once I had started Everport and kept in touch and come 2020, he said to me, there's an opportunity for to be nominated for a board. And I said, okay, I'll nominate you. And he said, no, 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 I'm going to nominate you. And I said, I don't know how that's going to work because I'm young. I, mm. You know, I'm not as Did experienced. Did it tell you what board it's for? No, he just said a board. Oh. And I, I, he said it was a public entity. I didn't really know what the NMC was about at the time. And I was very taken aback and I said, okay, well, I'll indulge you. <laughs> and I packaged all my information, sent it to him. He drafted a letter and he sent it all for me. And I forgot because I really was not in the slightest bit confident, as confident as I may appear, I was not confident that it would happen. And after 2020, during 2020 rather, a lot of smallholder farmers, and that's also where my smallholder going into the smallholder farmer environment came where the retail stores, some of the retail chains of store, stores were closed, the tuck shops, their market was closed, the fast food chains, the restaurants. Mm. And they came in and said, Chance, we have all this stock and it's going to waste and we don't know what to do with it. And I developed the Insights into Africa Rural Research Development Program where that's where all the knowledge generation, the insight, the training started filtering in. And the NAMC's um, head of communication started reading, I think he found me on Twitter, where we were posting about what the program's about, how we intend to help the farmers. And he said, you know, uh, he sent me an email and he said, I'd like to engage with you on what this program is, because I believe it's within the scope of what and the objectives of what the NAMC does. So I started speaking to Stephen from February and I said, Stephen, you know, the quickest way for me to get a funding and scale this project fast enough is with an endorsement from the NAMC to support this endeavor, whether it be, you know, with a letter from the CEO or them just having their logo as an endorsement partner. And I said, please just give me 15 minutes with the CEO. And he said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll arrange it. Come April, we had the same meeting. And uh, I said, please, Steve, like I really, really want to meet the CEO. And it was a week later, one of my associates um, message sent me a text and it was a list of names and at the bottom said, congratulations. And I respond, and I saw it was the NAMC board. And my response to him was, oh, congratulations to the new board members. And he said, Sean's please look again. <laughs> and my name was amongst professors and doctors. And the when I Google stalked them, it was like 30 years experience in the industry. And I was like, oh my God, this is as long as I've been alive. What am I going to do? <laughs> what am I going to contribute to this space? And yeah, it was within that week of getting my appointment letter from the minister and actually phoning my mentor and saying, how could you do this to me? You put me in this situation. I'm, I feel like I'm in above my head. I don't know what they expect of me or what it is. Having sat on board meetings during my legal internship and stuff, it's a very different thing doing it for 
private entity and then doing it in the public space. It's way more regulated, you know, um, and it's been such a journey to learn and grow. And I've been guided by, by some of my fellow council members in now my appointment as the chairperson of the supply and demand estimates committee and the crop liaison estimates committee, which is two very important wow. committees for the sector that determines pricing. They do, they do the estimates on how much stock is available, what the farmers outputs are. And I've luckily enough, again, been afforded the opportunity to have mentors who have shepherded me through the past two years is crazy that I've been there for two years already um, in my role. And again, the first time I had my committee meeting, uh, it was still very COVID times and everyone's Zoom windows popped up and the administrator said, please can everyone show your faces so the new chairperson can see you. And there were some lovely worms on there <laughs> who said, I've been in the business for 45 years and 32 years. And the only response I had to them was, that's as long as I've been alive, so I'd be happy to learn from you, so please be free to teach me. Um, and they have. They've been very open to guiding me, teaching me the ropes, and they, them, I think they've just been very kind, but they said, I've brought a new perspective to the table, a new open-mindedness to how I chair the meetings and how I conduct the shared opinions. Um, and how I allow the space for people to engage openly and freely and respectfully as well, because it can get heated as most meetings um, do. And it's just been a wonderful experience so far. So that my my question is, what what do you do there? So at so, the committees. Yes, at the NAMC. Okay, so so, at so the when they import, when they said, "Okay, right, you're on the board now." What was your job description? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was my question to my mentor. What am I supposed to do? Because I don't know what to do. And so the mandate of the NAMC is basically to advise the department and the minister on market access and market facilitation for the entire agricultural space. Is so that now Dalrat or Department yes, of Agriculture? Yeah. Land reform Form and rural development. development. Yes. Yes. The Montfort. Well mm -hmm. done. <laughs> <laughs> Tantra's there. Yeah. But yeah, that's, uh, that's our mm -hmm. job. And we were, f the NMC was formed under the MAP Act of 1996. And within that, our role as council is governed. So we look at policy development, the oversight in, within the organization and how it's being run, what our activities are. Um, and then the subcommittees, obviously, like in any organization, you have the HR and the audit and risk. And then my two committees come in at the back end, which is more on the crop estimates, which is the maize, soybean, sorghum, which that was a new thing for me as well. Um, and then the supply and demand estimates committee, where we literally look at data and graphs and engage with various stakeholders across across the board, well, across the entire space um, from entities like Sages who provide data, the departments, um, various departments that provide data and conduct activities within the crop space. And we send out that data to the minister that then gets published to the rest of the country. There's kind of a lot of weight on my shoulders I'm to sure. sign off on something like that because sometimes the data 
is great and we've meet meet the requirements and sometimes it's it's off and we have to go back to the drawing board and say okay calculations need to be redone audits need to be redone that sort of thing so within the NMC we've done a really good job in the merc department understanding what different subsectors within the sector needs are what the produce lines are doing specific research on different commodities and 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 how it can be better marketed marketed not only in, in the national space a regional space and in the global markets as well so so it sounds to me like it's a lot of responsibility does it take a lot of time from you and do you learn in the process does it help your own business the in what my role at the NAMC for sure has influenced the direction and expanded the scope of what Avoport initially was which was just selling avos um to mm. you know deep diving into trade development deep diving into skills and knowledge development um market insight which has informed how my business model moves and shapes shifts over time with covid that also changed the dynamic quite a bit um covid put place a lot of restrictions on trade food trade especially um and you know we've only been 2 years out of covid or 3 years now um since covid started since covid started we still haven't seen the true impact of what covid has actually done and that's going to be in the next 5 to 10 years we will see a dramatic shift in in how we do trade what we plant what we eat how we eat uh, i know food security insecurity is a big thing it's a topic of discussion um at the conference i'm attending now and to say that it hasn't been challenging would be a lie um it has been challenging it i wouldn't say it takes a lot of time per se my duties but me preparing for those duties and that takes a lot of time for me to get a on top of of what i need to know and also be better able to engage with the individuals that i liaise with um i had an opportunity actually recently through the nmc as the chairperson of the two committees to visit different stakeholders which was like school excursion for me so i was it was super cool we went to an oil mill start to finish where the stock comes from how is it processed how is it packaged where does it go and you know finding out the that's, difference that's, in the oils and stuff it's something to see yeah we've, was, we've seen that as well it's it's actually very interesting it is and that was like a school excursion for me and then i had an opportunity to meet traders and get their perspective and their insights and they too have really really important knowledge and information that's not directly accessible to anyone outside of them um and to better engage with various stakeholders and understand their different perspectives helps me be a better council member it helps me be a better board member a better chairperson and being a young chairperson this i feel i maybe i put it on myself but a lot of expectation for me to exceed expectations and own my space as a young woman because even when i went to these <laughs> to these excursions or if you want to call them that um the the gentleman that we met it was a young black woman and myself 
And when we walked in, it was like, wait, where's the Afrikaans worm that's supposed to be walking in with mm. these two young women? And it was, it was so different for them to engage with us um, and understand that we too, as women, can own the space just as much as, you know. I, I think that that's almost something that can be leveraged as an advantage. Yeah. Because... I'm not saying you're putting somebody on the back foot, but they immediately got to recalculate how they would have approached the situation. 100%. Um, because th th we've, we've seen it many times in what we do, is we get to a place and, and they, they kind of don't expect the two of us to walk in together if it's, if it's somebody that we don't know. Mm. And it has totally been to our advantage. And it, it does. It puts people, it, it, uh, the looks on these gentlemen's faces was if I had a GoPro attached to, attached to my shoulder. You should do it. I, I literally <laughs> wish I, we had a good giggle over lunch, um, my colleague and I from the NMC, because we said they really didn't expect us. They thought we were the administrators and we were just calling to arrange the, the meeting. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the worms would go there and talk shop. And we were the two talking shop and asking the questions. And being knowledgeable enough to say, but okay, hold on, you said this, but what about that? And and that, I think it also opens them up. They get a little bit mush when they see two young women. I think so too. I think exactly <laughs> what, what Devold was saying is that when something goes against your expectation or is not doesn't fit the mold of what you expected, very often you get more out of it because the traditional expectation is not there. I recently heard one, um, an expression that said, the most dangerous thing to say, that you can hear in any business is, we've always done it that way. Mm. So if it's same old, same old, we're not changing the way we're doing things, you're not going to get anywhere. It's when you change the mold and when you, when you move out of your comfort zone and you deal with things you don't normally deal with, that's when the magic starts happening. Mm. Yeah. And, and the fact that you can that you can talk to talk to them yeah. as well. That that we've seen it many times that we, we go into a pack house or orchard and and the guy will say, Well, this is this and we do this here and I'll say, Well, I see you're packing autumn crisp crepes today. Without him saying that to me. Yeah. And then he would look at me and he says, Okay, oh, so you know what's going on. So I said, Yeah, well we've done this before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I can leave you. And then they bugger off and they leave us to do our job and they carry on with what they're doing and they, they just they trust you more. Yes. Yeah. It's but when that, you show that comes from the being this, with it being a school excursion, <clears throat> with you being interested and asking a million questions. That's what like we we are like that as you well. Learn, you learn on the job. Yeah, my it. my mentors and from my legal time in the legal space, they'd say there's no such thing as a stupid question, and so I ask a lot of questions sometimes to people's annoyance. Um, I, no, like I, say, I say to them up front, I say, I'm going to ask you a million questions today. <laughs> Be prepared. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I've always been curious, even from a child, having grown up on a livestock farm, I was, I never thought I'd come back into the agri space, let alone be a lawyer. As a kid, I was like, I'm going to be a vet. I used to steal ch chicks from my granny's chicken coop. I used to steal, you know, the, the, the calves from the cows and, the, the falls and take them into the house and have them there and have a stethoscope and you know my poor granny she probably had dung everywhere and
didn't complain at all. But that's what I thought I was going to be. And then I went to law school and went to practice law, figured it out. I love the legal space. And I think that provided me with a steady ground for me to be able to navigate my positions of power now. Um, and then having gone full circle and literally come back to where I grew up. And I always say they took the goal out of the farm, but they couldn't take the farm out of the goal type of thing. That's lovely. And I would imagine that, I mean, you, you just, I was going to ask you about whether there was any agriculture in your background and you've answered that now, but don't you think that to some extent, having lived that life makes you a little bit more comfortable in the agricultural space? If it's I like coming home. It's literally, albeit I was in, the livestock farm and we had a dairy farm and my dad was literally the milkman when he met my mom delivering milk so that all of the expression is your dad yeah, the milkman <laughs> yeah I have to say yes he was the milkman um but I have such a deep appreciation for the farm workers and the understanding of the challenges you know things when you speak about livestock livestock theft that I witnessed hundreds of times, um, be it on my dad's, my grandparents' farm that my dad would manage um, and seeing the losses incurred, you know, the dairy farm, what would happen to the calves and, you know, also things where the animals would be slaughtered. I never appreciated that as a kid and even now it makes me uncomfortable even though I'm a meat eater, which sounds very contradictory, but it still makes me very uncomfortable. Um, but I, I love... I love the farms. Like I said, when it was a school excursion, I went up to Venda to view some avo farmers, small-scale avo farmers. And even there, I saw opportunity for the sustainable households to start making a money from the produce in, in their gardens or in their homesteads. And I love it. It's, it's therapeutic for me. I don't feel stressed about it. Although trading makes me feel stressed in agricultural yeah. produce, but visiting the farms, being actively involved in, in, in what's happening in that regard. I love that. Yeah. So it is. No, with our job as well, we always joke to each other when we leave a farm and we say, thank goodness we didn't have to put that thing in a container <laughs> and get it across the ocean. Yeah. <clears throat> so I said that to, to one of the clients, and I said, so, so you're like grandparents. You only get to see the best part of it and then you leave and you yeah. leave the kids with the parents, let them sort out the problems that there is. 100%. And, and you know, it's... Trading is a very topsy-turvy environment. It is. It, it's really hectic. It's really challenging. One thing can go wrong and then you're done for the year or until you can build up enough capital to do it again. And that was the trial and error that I faced using the right logistics. So if you look down the road, you, you're very much involved in assisting and developing um, smallholder farmers, and you're also involved on the trade side. If you look down the road, would where would you like to go to either of these, or would you like to keep doing both? What is your what is your? I used to believe that they existed separately. The farmers existed separately to trade, but having a deeper understanding and like I said, the policy public sector space changed how I run my business, how I see opportunity 
where I see opportunity um, and the networks from that, um, they can't exist separately. And if I want to develop a strong trading company, I need to have strong farmers behind me. So they, they work together in parallel. Um, not always. Sometimes the one goes the other way. But if I could get that magic potion right and concentrate on five lines and, and redoing this now with the peppers where we're developing a program called We Grow Pep. And we're going to enlist a group of farmers. One of my farmers that are already planting, she has come in as a mentor. Tamsin, as I mentioned, is coming in with the training. Um, we're going to start planting, not only for the South African market, but for the global market. Um, and have our peppers going into the UAE, into Europe. And then Europe came back to me with the trade leads I have there and say, we want mushrooms. And I, I was like, okay, I'll check for counter season mushrooms. And we want berries counter season from South Africa. And then I was looking at the type of mushrooms they want. And it's the very niche, niche, you know, the ones you have to walk here in Cape Town and yeah. go in the forest. And I was like, I don't even think my farmers know how to, mm. how to plant these. But again, with every challenge is an opportunity. Yes. So that, that's when you mentioned mushrooms earlier. That is like, something that is very interesting. Mm. I've watched like a hundred videos on YouTube about growing mushrooms and those kind of things. So it's, uh, it's very interesting. And with what happened with the and Ukraine? It's not difficult. It's not difficult. It's, if, well, I didn't know. I, I technically am the person who pulls the mushrooms off my pizza. <laughs> so. It's different oh. mushrooms. It's not the same ones as those little <laughs> button ones. Yeah. So, and that's where it came in because when my trade lead came in and they said, we want mushrooms, I was like, oh, you want buttons? No, no, no. And then they gave the trade, the products. Unusual ones. I was like, what is this? Like, I know shiitake. And then I was like, I don't know what this is. And the German market is really big on, on South African wines, South African produce and processed stuff. And, and what happened with the Ukraine where most of Europe sent their stuff to be processed in those states. Mm. And now with the war with Russia, those activities sort of halted or depleted mm. quite substantially. And they were looking at other opportunities to come and find not only a counter season market, but a, another place for them to manufacture their goods. And South Africa or Africa presents an opportunity again. If we can do it, how are we going to do it? Those are the questions we need to answer. And from We Grow Pep, as we call it, um, and that may even change with the names because I'm, I'm very indecisive when it comes to naming something. It needs to stick like Avoport. I need to have a story. A ring to it. A ring, yeah, yes. it needs to have a story behind it. But the, the Pepper project that we're working on, we would like to develop it into strawberries and the niche mushrooms. And so then if so, you name it pepper, then it's like, uh, but we also do strawberries. Yeah, so, so we have to go, we grow straw and we grow, yeah. okay, we have to change it to something, well, but it'll well, probably change. A, well, that's a, if you, if you can have a, like a, like a umbrella brand, like what, uh, that wonderful company we saw in the States, they've got the wonderful, have you, you know about wonderful, the brand wonderful. Mm -mm. It's, 
It's wonderful. And then the, the O at the end of it's wonderful a is a heart. Look it up sometime. They're it massive. Is, it's a guy that started with pomegranates. Okay. And he made pomegranate juice. And it, it's a multi-billion dollar industry now. They've got wonderful citrus, wonderful grapes, wonderful Wonderful everything. Yeah, so the name may change at some point, Louise, mm -hmm. and yeah. I I've obviously will have to trademark and, and it and with, see if with, it's available. But and with that, you, are you going to package it and brand it as, let's say, let's say if it stays We Grow Pip, so that if somebody walks into a pick and pay or Willie's, they will see a We Grow Pip there, irrespective of where it is, from all these farmers? Is that the plan? Yeah, and okay. what we would do is manage... <clears throat> the quality control, and that's also one of the challenges for smallholder farmers is quality control yeah. and access to packhouse yeah. facilities and refrigeration yes. and that sort of thing. So we do, we would have a hub, and we're actually in discussions with an international funding organization. Um, and that's where my NMC role came in because it's given me a lot of credibility to go out and engage as opposed to being… Which is what you wanted initially. Yeah. There's what I wanted, uh, the credibility and the notoriety to say, I'm not only the director of Avalport, but I am a council member. And that sort of gives you a stamp of approval. Definitely. Um, which I, I've leveraged quite significantly to bring new networks, new partnerships. And so you should. And I mean, you've obviously found it very interesting and very stimulating to be involved in the NAMC. Would you like to continue in that role? Absolutely. I mean, my term is only four years, but if the minister would, you know, if I had to not renominate myself, or is that even a word? Renominate? Well, nominate, get nominated again. Um, and, and she's willing to, to give me the role. Absolutely. Cause it, it, it has been extremely beneficial and I've gained a lot of exposure, credibility, and just the individuals I've met through my journey, um, the different stakeholders, the different entrepreneurs, um, even, you know, through this conference today, it's a dual role. It's Shanjani and I do Avalport director, and then it's board member at the NAMC. Um, titles are always nice, <laughs> although, you know, titles mean nothing if you have no impact. Yeah. So if I have a greater impact with both my roles and I can do it for the next 25 years. Well, it certainly sounds like you are having a massive impact, especially if you're working with the, the smallholder farmers and assisting them the way you are. And I think you might not think about it this way, but I think you're a role model for a lot of people. Exactly what you were saying for those farmers who didn't expect you to walk through the door, but you did. So, you know, other people can look at you and go, well, if she can do it, then so can we. When so we that's went, pretty cool. When we went to Venda, that was exactly the impression. Um, the Venda culture is very patriarchal. It's very, you know, the men sit on one yes. side and the women sit on the other. And when I went up there with one of my clients who was going to purchase the avos um, from them, we obviously identified the challenges with, with, with the area and how we were going to logistically okay. go about the whole thing because there wasn't a pack house available close by and obviously transporting stock that's not of good quality to the actual factory would be a waste so we had when we identified all of that it was one thing but having been in a village where I literally have images of the men sitting on one side and the woman sitting on the other side 
um, the translators that were there said, it's her company. And then I saw the woman talking to each other and pointing at me and saying, she's the one buying yeah. the stuff. She's the one that they brought you. Even though my client's a, a male, they well, were like, it was other way around. They, they would have, have made that assumption immediately. Mm -hmm. So you had to go and dispel the, the, the assumption. And they came up to me at the end of the, the tribal meeting of, well, where they were discussing everything and, and how we were explaining how we'd, we'd want to buy. And this was in a village. It wasn't even a farm. But I promise you, when we drove into the village, the trees were collapsing with the most luscious avos. Wow. And we, I looked at my client and I said, this is green gold hanging here. It's probably organic as well. Yeah. Never been sprayed. Never been sprayed. The trees are 20, 30 years old. And harvesting, I, I promise <coughs> you, my hands were small <coughs> to show the size and the width of how big these avos were. And the young woman came and said, can we have a picture with you? And I was like, okay. And they and said, you know, can we also come? And we'll come when your truck comes once a week and we'll sell. Will you buy from us? And I was like, yeah. Then that opened opportunity for them. Not only as, as small farmers, those are just households, sustainable households that had 10, 15 trees in their backyard that they could have, earn an income from. Wow. So you're in Cape Town for this conference. Mm -hmm. How did you end up being nominated to speak at it? How did you get involved? How did that all come about? Since before my NMC, I think my first article came out February 2021. Um, I think it was Zanzi Agri Talk that actually did did the article and the journalists there, I think the caption was lawyer turned agripreneur. And that just shot me out of the sky. And that's, a, love, were, that's a lovely title. Yeah. That's our title. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, that just catapulted me to something where I, there was an article coming out every quarter two or three articles coming out every quarter. That people wrote about you. Yeah, that people wrote about me. And and I thought, well, what else do I have to say? I said everything in the first article. And then I was like, <laughs> what am I supposed to say? And it's just been, you know, a very exciting journey in that regard because institutions like the Federated Management Institute call me say, hi, we read about you and we'd really like you to speak. Or, and, and, you know, giving the international talks. Has, this has been my first live one where I'm in front of a actual people, people and not a camera screen. So I don't know how well I'm going to do because camera screens provide yeah. sort of a You'll buffer. be great. Be lights. Yeah. The, the lights will be the buffer. Yeah, the, yeah. so Probably. I'm, Hopefully. I'm pretty nervous of holding the mic and... I was YouTubing, how do you hold a mic? Because, you know, usually the mic's on the podium, but now you have to hold it. We do can, I hold we it? can rent them the lapel mics of the hands. <laughs> okay. It we... also gives you something to do with your hands. Yeah. And I'm a very expressive talker. So to, ha to hold a mic gives you something to do. Otherwise, you know. Yeah, but you can only hold it in one place. That's right. Now, do I hold but it on the side or hold it in the front? That's my question. Yeah. 
Good. <laughs> the very best of luck. I'm sure it's going to be absolutely fantastic. We've, Thank you. We've got a, a little bit of a closing tradition with the, the previous guy ask a question for the next guy. Oh, Lord. It's fun. <laughs> it's fun. You will get to but, do that too, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. You've got to give, I think we did it previously as well, but I can't yeah. remember. But um, just before we go there, what do you see the role of social media for these upcoming farmers? Because uh, I, I see a lot of Facebook groups where there's young black people or Indian or colored or not so much white people. I don't know why, but everybody's looking for investment. Everybody's okay. saying, we want money, invest, invest, invest. How should they use social media to get out of the want, but rather this is me? What, what, what do you see in that? It's funny you asked me that. I, when I had attended Maya's event for the Ford Fellowship, uh, we had discussion tables, you know, like it's set up here and there was sort of a mentor or person, a speaker sitting at each table. And the one table I was seated at, the lady said to me, I said, okay, so what do you want? No, I want money. And I said, take that away. What do you want? And she sat back and she was like, what do you mean? And I said, well, I'm not going to give you money if you don't know what you want. Nobody's going to give you money if you don't know what you want. And I started off with very limited capital to start off Avonport. I mean, I used my little intern money. My law firm was kind enough to, to help me out with, you know, giving me my registration. And my mentor was there to help me. Uh, register it and make sure it was all sipsy good and that sort of thing. Um, but I was, I said to her, so you want money. Now I'm taking away the money. Tell me what you want. And then she started percolating and she was like, I need it. I need someone to guide me. I need someone to advise me. I need somebody to teach me how to be more confident, how to speak. And I said, those are the things that helped me get to where I was because I pretended to be a farmer starting out at Port and I looked for all the free stuff, the trainings at the DTI for import and export. That's what I attended to But learn. you took the trouble to take the initiative to do, do that. that. And when it comes to social media, I mean, 10 years ago, it wasn't as big as it is now oh. where the access to in free information is so easy and quick. Um, so when we spoke about it on the way, yeah, about yeah. information. T tell her about the, the book. Uh, we were just chatting about, you know, inf how there's an overdose of information. And in fact, a lot of the time you have to say no, because it's all coming at you all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And if you think back to human knowledge, I think in the during the Enlightenment period in the 18th century, there was um, a group of intellectuals in Europe that got together and they wrote like the first encyclopedia. And they said, if you'd read that and you knew the content of it, you knew everything there was to know. And there's a book, and that's, a book. And that's, book. that's more, just like over two centuries ago. And today it's like everything in all, you know, everything all at once, all the time, right in your face, if you've got a cell phone. No. So it's, it's what you want and you need to go after it and you need to, you need to hone the skill of knowing what to ask for and where to look. Yeah. I, I saw a post on one of these Lampo groups on Facebook that I'm in for my sins. 
I hate those things. <laughs> anyway, so there was a young white guy that posted. He says, how do I start uh, um, a side plus? What's a side plus in, in English? Um, like a, a grain growing. Yes. Be it maize, wheat, whatever. Or a ground moving facility. I don't have a dad with lots of money. That was his comment. Nah. Nobody else commented. I, I, you know, when you're at that point, it was like, should I comment or shouldn't I comment? <laughs> Am I going to say something too hard and negative to him and I and I well I gave it and I commented and I said with <laughs> unfortunately I'm like that. <laughs> I said, well with the internet today, if you cannot make ten Rand with the internet today, you don't want to make ten Rand. It is just so flippin' easy. So you don't need to reach daddy. No. You need to pull just your need initiative. You need to pull your finger out and just get going. With with I come from an Indian family so you know our options are very limited doctor lawyer engineer engineer accountant four options and then when you're indian woman they've sent you to school but then married kids husband house i am nowhere close to that dear Aunt louise <laughs> it's i don't know i don't even know if that's in my cards but when i started my my mom's, my stepmom and my mom, bless them, very strong, independent. I was lucky enough again to have that growing up where they gave me the opportunity to say, if you want to leave law and this is, you're drawing on my walls, Shandani, that's what my mom would say. You are drawing on my walls. You are sticking big pieces of ugly paper on my walls. And that's what Avoport started as drawings on a wall, mind maps everywhere. Um, if this is what you're going to do, then do it. But there was no like, okay, here's a, a million rand, sweetheart, and yeah, yeah. Start, like that. start going at it. It was everything I've done now has been with their unwavering support. And, um, but I did it myself. I built myself up by being respectful and kind and intuitive. And... My mom taught me a trick growing up. She said, when you walk into somebody's office, please look around. Look at what there's on their desks. And how my mentor, who I met who nominated the board, I figured out he had a sweet tooth. So whenever I knew there was a document that needed his signature, the next day it was a donut, a box of cookies, you know, a slice of cake. And even if he wasn't there, I would run upstairs um, at this old hospital building that the mine company was stationed at. And I'd run up those stairs, see his secretary and be like, sorry, this is for Advocate Checo. You know, please make sure he gets insights from me. Um, and those are the relationships I built, built up, you know, where even now, when before I landed in Cape Town, I think I was texting you, Devout, like, I'm here. The messages came in and it was people I've met throughout my my years being in the agri space. There's this woman awards. I think you should enter. I read it and I thought of you. And it's just a random... Isn't that incredible? Random convo that came up. Mm. I mean, that's how I won the Standard Bank uh, Woman of the Year Award for Most Gender Empowered... Um, Stayed on entity and then public leader. I, I, I was the final, well, well, third place or second place or something like well, that. Well, congratulations. Yeah, mm. and that came 
again from somebody saying, oh, we nominated you, by the way, and <laughs> good luck. And that's how these things happen for me. So when, when young people like Maya, I, I, I can even play you a, a snippet of a voice note later so you can hear where she said, thank you so much for the voice note you sent. And it was like a six minute voice note, me having a monologue, like Maya, this is how you do it. Okay, Shans, I feel confident enough in myself to go about this. I can start planning. I can start engaging. I can start doing that. Money, money is, yes, it makes it much easier for sure to, to do it. But what, there's people willing to help and extend a hand. And it may not be financial. It may be a conversation or an inspiring moment or story that, invigorates you to be like, I'm going to go out and look for it now. And I'm, I'm going to decipher all this hundred files on Google and figure yeah. myself, figure my farm okay. out. Do, so do now is the time we need to ask you the question. And the, it's, it's funny that you, that the conversation in the last three or four minutes has got to right where we need to ask the very relevant question. Yeah. And the question was, do you do what you do because you love it or do you do it for bottom line? Oh, definitely not for bottom line, for sure. No, no. Um, money is lovely and yeah, it buys you nice things, but materialism is not what I'm after. Impact. Seeing what I've put on paper, like Avoport was just a piece of paper on a wall almost 10 years ago, I can say. Now it's it's a logo, it's a brand, it's recognizable. People know what it is, even if they, they don't know exactly what we do. They see me on, on the social media profiles or they see me in articles or they see me speaking at an event here. And people where I used to engage with people and you'd go look, now it comes to me. And so for me, that is more important is seeing my farmers go from point A to B, seeing them say there is value in my relationship with Sean's, even if it doesn't necessarily work out in our transaction, but there's friendships that I've built and, you know, that relationships that are, that are be, that can't be bought. And bottom line will mean something to me when the Mayas, the Tamsins, my business partners, come and say, through Avoport or through Sean's, this is what we've done and this is how we got there. And this has been our shared journey. That to me is way more than having six or seven zeros in my bank account in the, in the right way, not in the opposite <laughs> way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's plenty zeros in the bank account, yeah. always. <laughs> so, you know, trying to have the, 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 the zeros in the right place is great. And even then, so I think it would drive me just to do more and be more. Um, and I, I have to thank my mom for, for being sort of the, the figure that I can look to because she, she always gives more than she gets. She is the most forgiving, understanding and compassionate, sometimes to her own detriment, but she's the one who's made me see that integrity is the highest value in life and there's nothing more important than being a person of integrity and that's that's all i aspire to be as a person 
of integrity, whether I make you a rand or I make you a billion rand. The part I'd like to say is, them to say is, she's a person of integrity. That would be fantastic for me. And your journey sounds incredibly interesting, how you got onto this road. And we wish you the very best. And we're going to walk this path with you and chat to you again. Soon. Oh, I hope so. I Soon. love chatting to you guys. And I, th I think we will <laughs> definitely have a further conversation down the road. Thanks so much for your time. Yes. Thank you so Thank much you. to the both of you for driving all the way out. Um, and persevering to get this yeah. eventually recorded. And I, hope, I hope there's a record. <laughs> yes, no, it's, I've been watching it the whole time. That's, that's... And the next time also, just remember, we'll put a sticker on the table to say, Dear Bob, push record. It's, that's like a, <clears throat> it's like a kick in the nuts, I would call it. If you, if you, if you look, <laughs> if everything's done, it was so fantastic. And uh, we sit next to me and I said, shit, I didn't press record. <laughs> I think I still have the voice note from you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank and you so and, much, and guys. Enjoy it's been the, wonderful. Enjoy the Thank conference. You.